1: This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.
0: Do you think that everyone has the right to marry? It's, it's not, not gonna happen.
2: Yeah, well, exactly. We can't do it. I get rid of illegal immigration. I'm not gonna limit myself. I'm being wronged here.
3: I think you're very dominant. I am polyamorous. Ah. Uh.
2: <laughs>
1: Hello, I'm Maureen O'Connell, and you are very welcome to Hooked On, Eating With The Enemy. In our companion podcast, we'll be delving into this brand new series, which sees strangers with opposite views paired together for a meal to see whether or not they can find any common ground.
2: It's more of a class
0: struggle rather than a race struggle. Ooh.
2: There's a strength in
3: being honest about how you feel. There is no God.
2: Now,
0: I'm against this. What's the most
2: difficult decision you ever have to make? Stay alive. Do I get a second date?
1: (laughs) Eating with the Enemy airs on Wednesday nights at 9 pm on Virgin Media One. Or if you're anything like me and you just don't have the patience to be waiting for each and every week, you can now binge watch the entire series on the Virgin Media Player. Well, sparks certainly fly over the course of eating with the enemy. Like when Luke and Bashir debate over whether or not Donald Trump is a racist.
2: Give me an example of something that you found offensive that Trump said. Because I just want to get to the, the, like, I don't see, I don't, he's not a racist. He told proud boys, stand back and stand by. Why was the proud boys thing racist?
0: because we know that they're an extreme
2: uh, right-wing militia group who are told that if we don't win this presidency... And what did, what did Trump... He's stand back and stand by. So you think that's a... That's a call to action. That's a call to action. so wrong. Come on, man. You can't really not believe that. When someone says something's not racist, you're not... You don't have that call. Well, am I not allowed but, to say that? You, you are, but if I tell you something is racist, I have um, a reason for saying that, and you can't deny me that freedom to express myself in that way. If I feel so, something is racist, I'm, I think I'm if so I to disagree with you about something oh, you being can disagree, racist... you disagree, but at least be open to hearing or understanding why um, I say it's racist.
1: Now, that's just a little bit from Luke and Bashir's debate over Donald Trump, which did kind of evolve into their opposing views on what is a racist? In each episode, we see four separate couples who have been matched by their differences. The pairs are presented with a menu of thought-provoking questions, which have been designed by my guests, Dr. Malia Coyne, clinical psychologist and author of Love In, Love Out, and Richard Hogan, psychotherapist and columnist with the Irish Examiner, and also author of Parenting the Screen You are both very welcome to Hooked on Eating with the Enemy. How are you doing?
3: Yeah, doing good. Great. Good. Richard, you're looking swish, ready to go.
1: Oh,
2: thank you, Marianne. Yeah, I'm ready I'm like Mally. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And well, Richard
3: we... always looks swish, by the yeah. way.
1: <laughs> My you wife doesn't look. say
2: so, but anyway. Well,
1: well now we'll work, you what? we'll work on her. You'll show you'll show her now yourself tonight when you're standing <laughs> up against him. Look at me how swish I am. Come
2: on. I'm Malius co-star.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Richard, first, like why did you get involved with a show called Eating with the Enemy?
2: Yeah. Thanks, Martin. I write. I write a column for the Irish Examiner, and I write a lot about free speech. And I work in schools and universities, and I see firsthand just how difficult students find it to have an interaction with difference. You know, and I've really seen that. I do classes on free speech, and I and I see. I see them. You know, really uncomfortable having the conversations. You know, and also wanting to end the conversation because they find it very difficult to have a conversation where. An opposing point of view has been brought into the classroom. It's very interesting to watch and I've watched, it. I've watched that decrease over the last three or four years and I think it's because of like you know the algorithms and how we've been fed information about you know what we what we consume say social media so we're getting this kind of sense of like we're all getting the one thing the you know I honestly believe the the dystopian idea of the future been like you know where computers are feeding us our information is not miles off down the, you know down the road we're right in the middle of it with these algorithms feeding us what we're consuming and, and, and telling us what to think And we saw that there, you know, in in New York or in uh, Washington, uh, you know, um, with with the, you know, with the ransacking of the Capitol Hill and five people dead. And that's where it comes with the most terrifying and, you know, terrible logic conclusion. And I suppose the reason I got involved when when Shane contacted me about it, I had reservations about it. I I went and had a meeting with him. And as I said to you there, you know, I was very concerned that this. It would be like you know jeremy kyle and a lot of shouting and roaring points of view i didn't want anything like that to be involved in anything like that i'm a very positive person i want to be involved in promoting free speech and promoting dialogue and promoting discourse so that's when i when i sat down with shane and i realized you know what he was after and what he was looking for it really married with my ideas about free speech so that's kind of how i got into it and i was very excited from the, from that moment when i saw that our ideas were, were similar and then talking to mali and seeing her ideas were similar as well but that's what we're after i was just very excited to be a part of it and i can't wait for tonight
1: Amalie, um, would you kind of uh, agree with that? Because uh, the echo chamber world that we live in, where you, you can consume people who are just like yourself, whereas I could look at my parents' generation and they're friends with people from completely different walks of life. Do, do you think that's, that we have gone into that way where we're just, just getting our own viewpoint mirrored back to us and that that could be a bad thing?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the way humans have been since the beginning of time to an extent in that we seek similarity because it makes us feel safer. That's the way our brains work. It's to do with evolution. But I think it has become more of a problem since the age of social media, as Richard is saying, because we're only really kind of interacting with people online that kind of meet, that that, that say what we're saying and meet our opinions in the same way. And I think that's why this show was so important. And this actually came from an idea in Switzerland. There was an experiment done in 2019 where 4000 people got together and they sat across from one another and were given a conversation menu exactly the way we did it. Um, and that has spurred this movement in Austria at the moment where every month they have these coffeehouse conversations. They've, they're probably doing them online now where people with opposing viewpoints sit and eat together and discuss topics. Um, and it's really important for us to build a kinder society and one where we can have differences, but interact with one another in a respectful way. I think it's, it's incredibly important. Well, let's talk
1: about those questions, Malia, because you've designed these series of thought provoking questions. People aren't just sitting down and meandering mm. through a conversation. Uh, they're there to, to uh, incite discussion. So tell me about designing them and the reactions you were hoping to get from them.
3: Well, I suppose they came from this conversation menu of questions came from this idea um, in in Switzerland where they had used those questions, and really they're 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 kind of when we were designing them. we kind of looked at, um, we started with like icebreaker questions. When somebody sees you first, how do how might they perceive you? And then instant opinion questions were like, what current trend makes no sense to you? And then there were like storyteller questions where you kind of ask somebody a little bit more about their point of view about a certain thing. And then also like discussion prompts, that's what they were there for. Um, so And then also emotional questions. What makes you angry? What are you fearful of? When have you experienced grief? Those are the the exact questions after having their really nitty gritty conversation about the important topic that they're there for, we kind of threw in an emotional question to see how they would react to that. And it was really it was so interesting to see that because They might have had quite a, you know, uh, a kind of an exchange of words about their particular topic that they feel very passionate about. And then suddenly they were talking about grief and you saw people actually becoming quite emotional with one another. And that was all to do with their level of comfort and how the conversation had been before that. And then we had gear change questions, which were like, when we felt things were getting too heated or when we felt things were a little bit stale, we kind of changed the direction of the conversation. So the, converse, the questions were designed to kind of bridge gaps um, and, to, and, and also to bring them together in terms of topics. So that's why that worked so well. And actually Mattress Mick, who's on tonight, um, mentioned uh, that he found the questions. He loved the idea of the questions because they were so surprising and he didn't, you couldn't prepare for it and you didn't know what was coming next. And there was
1: someone else in in episode one, I think it was uh, Liam from Kildare, who was with the emotional questions. He was quite stumped by yeah. it and you could see him getting a bit uncomfortable and that he hadn't explored that. Because, Richard, when people sit down or meet each other for the first time, we do subconsciously make a judgment straight away, absolutely. don't we? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Like Malia said, it comes from our evolutionary past. You know, we have 60,000, we have around 60,000 thoughts a day and we're always filtering that out and, we're, and our brain is feeding to us what's familiar to us. So we're looking to see if you're in, you know, Mirren is, is Maren someone I know, is Maren someone that I know before, is Miren someone that I like, is it, you know, and you're looking to see is somebody listening to you to respond or listening to understand. You're looking for all these kind of very quick telltale signs to you that this is someone I want to, you know, be friends with, or this is someone that I don't like. Partic- and as, 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 as Mali was saying there, we limit, you know, it's incredibly limiting to us. We profile, we, we literally profile people, right, when, when we sit down with them. And it's all the subconscious triggers going on our remind all these things we fed to us that are familiar about someone who's a type of person, an archetypal person. That's someone I know. That's someone that I like. And, and, and that's what's so great about the show is that we bring people together who generally would never have sat down and, and have a discourse together. And, go, and of course, then as well, Maureen, you throw a, a dinner in, it's a very intimate thing, you know, <laughs> sitting down and eating with someone. you know, when you're on your first date and you're having a, a meal, you're incredibly precise about how you're going to cut the steak and, yeah. you know, how the food goes in. I remember my first date, my wife and I said to her, we we're going to the cinema and I said, you know, do you want something from the pick and mix? And she's like, no, 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 no. She wasn't going to eat any pick and mix or, you know, cause she was putting her best self forward. <laughs> and, and, we, and we generally, Tend to do that, you know, when we're when we're sitting down with people that we don't, and we no, no, we, we, you know, when we know them, we might wolf into the dinner like we yeah. normally would, but with someone else. So you're adding in another, another dimension of uh, intimacy there that created, I think, a wonderful uh, bit of tension between two people sitting down and having a discourse.
1: Three months later, she was like, yeah. "I'll spend thirty quid on the picnic." Exactly. Like, go on, let's <laughs> exactly. go for it. Uh, but Molly, do you think that you know, as you're you're looking for responses and and the visual cues, do you think that an awful lot of the guests were were surprised at who they were sitting down with and you were like oh they've they've they might be gone here already
3: well if you think about it they know it's a show called eating with the enemy so they're kind of like their brains are primed for oh my god who am i meeting tomorrow or whenever and um and then there's this instant like you know for every one of them that were there there was this instant kind of surprise at who they were sitting across from and probably to an extent a bit of dread around what would ensue and what would happen Um, but what was surprising I suppose when people are uncomfortable in that way they tend to try to find a little bit of similarity and that's what was good about the conversation menu that they could kind of have that little bit of small chat first Um, you know you found say with with couple of couplings of, of of, of women they were kind of looking for similarities say are you or you're a mom too or oh, i'm a mom too or you know things like that you know like you know where they found commonality first before getting into the nitty gritty. But there were other conversations where they got straight in. You know, there was people, you know, somebody that was from a a men's movement. He wanted to get straight into what his view was. And, you know, then when he was asked an emotional question, he didn't really want to kind of go there. You know what I mean? He was there for a reason. Whereas so everybody had different reasons for being there. But yes, I think people were surprised by the end of the conversation by, you know, that some of them had actually learned to hear the other person's point of view. And it might have just, you know, put a little bit of a question mark in their mind as to why that person has that point of view. And Mm. you did find people saying, oh, yeah, I must research that a little bit more because they liked the person. They realized that point of view could be something that I could explore a bit more. Yeah, Mm. they weren't an avatar, on Twitter, mm. they yes, were an actual exactly. human
1: yeah. being, yeah. which again is just so interesting. Uh, some people you could see were like, they didn't know what to do. They were waiting for the question to come out. They were like, how long are we going to be here? But <laughs> big shout out to Bonnie and Clyde. And
2: yeah, oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, so beautiful. For- but uh, Richard, you talk about um, in the show, something called in bias
2: yeah, and, and out, out bias.
1: bias. What yeah. is this?
2: That's generally we, you know, uh, we make those decisions about people incredibly quick before you know milliseconds we make a decision that person's in my in bias and or my out bias that means we're looking at how you look how how you're how you're presenting yourself to me even before you speak how you're, you know, you know, how you're coming across. You know, there's a very famous saying in systemic psychotherapy: we cannot not communicate, and so we're always in communication. Our body language is always communicating, and so immediately, Murray, when we sit down with someone, we're deciding before we even get into the into the kind of conversation, you know, into the content: is this person someone? that I is in my in bias, as in like, you know, this is someone I know, this is someone I like, this is someone that's familiar to me. Is that person like that? Or are they someone I find a threat? Are they someone I don't really know? They seem very dominant. We're making that decision in milliseconds. I mean, that's just incredibly faster brain is deciding that person. I like mm-hmm. them. They're familiar. I don't like them. They're not familiar. And, you know, what, what we know when we were, Mali, we were sitting down looking at the show, we knew that people would clash on the points of passion. We knew that, you know, when you ask someone about an opinion-based question, they're going to really have a conflict and that's going to come out there. But when you, I honestly believe fundamentally that when we understand the context of each other's lives, it's far harder to have mm. that conflict. And mm-hmm. that's what links us, that shared experiences, you know, that humanity. That's what, that's what links us. And that's what the questions were designed to do. Provoke a little bit of discourse and then show that actually, you know what, we're not so dissimilar at all. We just have a point of view that's different, but we're linked through our humanity. We're linked through our experiences.
1: Because that's the thing, Mali, isn't it? It's sort of um, when you're on social media, it's the juxtaposition of this show is that you're always thinking about social media as you're watching two people actually mm. meet because on social media, they wouldn't have the talk that they would have been happening as they were sitting down at dinner. It just wouldn't happen. It would be so argumentative. So when you're looking at someone that you think is a threat, that they could be dominant in a conversation on social media, your haunches might get up straight away. In real life, is there a way to to make that dissipate quicker?
3: I think to breathe, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and don't press click, you know, like send on your tweet and realize that people, as they say, have so much going on in the background of their lives and i think we do that on social media because there's this perfect storm of our kind of we have a threat focused brain that attunes to negativity and then we have all this overwhelm of information coming into us constantly and i think if you're on social media you might hear something that outrages you and then next thing you're 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 and then it, it engages you in this horrible exchange, which is really not good for your mental health. Um, and when I have found myself getting triggered, say in the last few months by anything to do with the news or anything, you know, cause we've had a really hard year I kind of decide I'm going to step back from it because I am I'm getting involved here in this conversation and I'm going to step back because I'm no longer seeing the person as a human being I'm just kind of getting angry about certain things and that reflects more how I'm feeling as opposed to what they're saying. So I think if we can try to, you know, I hope that this program will maybe help people to think about. I'd love if there was a movement in Ireland where we had these coffee house conversations mm. and I'd love to be involved in talking to somebody with a completely different point of view to mine, learning, I learned so much about different topics that I knew nothing about from watching the show. Um, And yeah, I I just, I'd love if we could do that and embrace that bit of difference a bit more, but, but doing that obviously in a, in a really respectful way. Um, But I think we just need to think before we click. Uh, We really do because we are responsible for ourselves. Are beauty pageants a good or bad thing? I think beauty pageants are a good thing if every single person involved benefits from it equally.
2: That's horseshit. I'm sorry, it really is. I've done a lot of these pageants. I've done the biggest pageants in the country. I've judged them all. So I... What?
0: Um, you missed that step.
2: I've judged Miss Ireland and I've judged, I'm the current judge on Miss Bikini Ireland for the last seven years.
3: I don't think it's right to like put people against each other based on looks.
2: It's not looks. That's stereotypical. So it's if a you're a beauty
3: to, pageant, it's, it's about beauty. looks.
2: It's not about looks. That's what you're it about? wrong. You're asking me. I'm going to tell you. I'm going it's to about listen. you as a person. And actually, you could probably do quite well if you learn to listen more with two ears and one mouth. It's about your personality. It's about watching you grow. It's a beauty pageant.
3: And beauty pageant as a concept, I don't agree with personally. They're bad. Not for me.
1: There is definitely a a character in this show uh, without giving too much away, but his name is Michael and Mm. he arrives in... And, you know, the, 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 the face is away and he's got tattoos <coughs> everywhere. And Richard, he wants to present himself in a certain way. He wants you to recognise him visually,
2: right? Absolutely. I mean, he's, the, way he, the way he sits is very interesting. He's I mean, in a very dominant position. His head is back and, you know, the shoulders are back and, you know, it's a, and his chest is out. It's just, a, you know, it's the, it's the basics of asserting dominance.
1: He does that throughout, like straight away. You yeah. were like, oh,
2: here we go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And then the person that he was with, Richard, um, Becca, she kind of she responded to him with just kind of eyebrows and her face and kind of going, okay. but it wasn't verbal attacking. Was there an awful lot said in that conversation? Because they didn't seem to have much in common through visual yeah, yeah.
2: cues. Absolutely. I think the way she was actually so controlled in her responses and she didn't overreact. I think the response that probably Michael would have been looking for would be for Becca to become heated. And that's what often happens when we get into a situation where we feel someone's dominant. The old amygdala fires and we can't think straight and we start saying things that we don't want to say and we, mm-hmm. we position ourselves in all sorts of you know, really negative ways. But actually, I thought Becca was incredible. She was so calm. She disarmed. Actually, I felt she disarmed Michael. He's getting upset by what she's saying. She's incredibly calm and she responds in a very dignified and she's got great control of herself. I find you see Michael leaning over take a drink out of Alka. You see, mm. you know, you, you can see the actual body language. You can see it a little bit collapsing there that mm. his dominance is built maybe on something that's not so solid. And, you know, I think Becca was incredible in that moment. She was, her, her calmness was for me something I found kind of a, a bit inspiring.
3: Her silence spoke volumes it yeah. really did you can, you know you can actually be assertive I think this show is all about showing how you can be assertive without you know ramming your point of view down somebody's throat which is Absolutely. kind of what he was prepared for he was primed for that you know she was so controlled and so um, able able for him
2: you know he was trying to shock like it was obviously trying to shock her from the word go he launched that yeah. like Bundy was his hero I mean obviously we know that that's not true right I yeah mean- <laughs> Right, you know that's not true, right? I, you know that, but I mean, it's just it's that's coming out. I think the social media age and also a little paradigm that he believes to be sensationalist and to be extreme gets you recognized and gets you. So I don't think that's a, an authentic statement or a genuine. Statement. That's just to launch out there and, and get a bit of discourse and get kind of fire back and forth. A kind of kid, quid pro quo dynamic going on. Becca did not bite. She just kind of laughed because of Ted Bundy and made a joke out of it, and it was completely disarmed again. I, th- I thought she was incredible in that. And as Mali said, what she didn't say was nearly more was more prominent than what she did say.
3: But it's important for us to note as well that, you know, there's going to be reactions on social media when Mm. the show plays out. And that, you know, he was coming in to present a particular character. And, you know, who knows what might be going on for him in the background? And and one of the things this show was really big on was duty of care, Mm. that all of them were psychologically assessed beforehand. They're all going to get a phone call after the show airs. You know, we're kind of conscious of how people might react to them on social media. And I think that's really important for us to to note because, you know, like it would be a disservice to them if we were doing that. You know, and I think people were reluctant about the show initially going eating with the enemy. How could you sit a victim with an abuser? And they had these views. I really think if there was a series two of it and I really hope there is that um more people will want to do the show because they'll realize actually it's quite an intelligent show mm. and that it's not deliberately trying to use people for entertainment um, and I think that's really important to note. And so therefore, with Michael, you know, I think it's, you know, that that might have been there might have been a bit of an act going on there. But I'm sure there's a lot more going on behind
2: that, you know. And exa- exactly, exactly. If I come in on that, and I think this is such an important point about the show. This whole idea of cancel culture. I mean, I, I you know, it, it has been incredibly destructive yeah. over the last couple of years. And we saw Caroline Flack and the terrible conclusion mm. that can yeah. happen when someone's life gets canceled for, you know, just a. You know, a random act of a moment of impulsivity or whatever, and so we all—we none of us communicate perfectly. None of us are perfect. None of us behave perfectly. And as well, what Malia said there about Michael's conversation—it's not. I—I I would. It would be a disservice to the show for people to be angry against Michael. I mean, that's just a guy, you know, having a conversation. And perhaps in that moment, when there's cameras rolling, you know, you you put on a you put on a little bit of fa- facade. People can say things that may be upset other people's mm. other people. That's not, you know, that's to, that's not to say that we go on social media and berate someone and mm. you know isolate them and make them feel terrible for their performance it's really important that we hear that difference and we hear someone like michael who seems like you know probably in, in person a really wonderful young man heading off in his life and his career so that he can say something that we don't agree with but that we can disagree with it in a respectful manner and that we don't try to isolate and you know make someone feel distant and uh, you know out of kilter with society that's what's happened with cancel, cancel culture someone makes a wrong step and all of a sudden the weight of all the media comes down on someone and then you you push them towards a terrible conclusion it,
1: it, it's it's something that is one of the most worrying things I yeah. think of our time like you both work within yeah. this industry and the psychological effects it can have in it like anyone can wake up one day and realize that their life is completely Absolutely. and utterly changed Mally do you think though that with someone and I'm not just specifically talking about Michael, but that you could have had people who want to create that reaction as mm. well, that that kind of go, no, come at me. I want the people on social media to do that because they think either they're strong enough or it's something that the conflict that people can feed on, Malia, do you think? I
3: think so. I mean, people were attracted to this show for different reasons, you know. Mm. Um, I, I think maybe for some, they knew they were going to be on TV. You don't, if, you're, if it's your first time on te- television, you don't necessarily, like, it, it behave the way you would at another time they didn't have a second opportunity to have this dinner they had one opportunity to have this dinner and it was you know there was cameras all around you know so you know they might've felt in this kind of threat mode. And sometimes when you're in threat mode, what do we do? We fight, flight, or run away. Um, And so it's a kind of a fighting as, as, as Richard said, you know, some, some people would kind of, you know, use the body language of I'm going to be more dominant than you from the beginning to kind of protect myself, you know? So people react in different ways. People go on telly for different reasons. Some people went on because they wanted to have a good, discourse with somebody else. And some people are more attracted to the idea of being on TV and, you know, kind of conveying their points of view. And, you know, we have this Mm. new TV personality culture, which is fair enough. But, you know, that's why it's important for us to, you know, even if they are open to, you know, displaying this stuff on social media, I still don't think, as Richard said, That it's okay for people to just say, well, they have that one point of view that I disagree with or they miss they represented themselves in 15 minutes of telly like that. They are no good as a person. That's just not right. We can't Mm. do that. It's just it's not okay to do that. We are more than our points of view. We cannot expect perfection from people. We all mess up sometimes. That's just human nature.
1: And there was someone actually in the first episode, not to give anything away again, uh, who was speaking with Mattress Mick. who said afterwards, I think I could have done Mm. better. And in that regard, it was kind of, there was intergenerational. You did Mm. put people together who were of different ages. Um, Does... Richard, why was that? Can people from different generations be automatically dismissive of another person? Well,
2: I think they can be. I think it's that old, uh, you know, I think there's that old Lear quote, you know, from Edmund and Leary, he says, the younger rise when the old doth fall. You know, the younger are always looking to the old to get out of the way and let us come through, we're coming through and the older looking back and thinking this generation haven't got what we had. You know, they're, you, know you hear all these things about things like they lack resilience, they're not strong, they're, they're too causative, they don't have this. They don't have, and I think that's a folly of all generations that we look at the one coming. And we look at through a lens of like you know really negative lens, of these guys aren't these guys don't have what we had when we, had, we were young. We had it hard, and we were you know every generation does that. That's just this, it's just a part of the human condition. And I think that I think there really is that there can be that um, disparity between the two. I think that as I said in the clip, that the young can feel that the older are out of touch you know, lacking kind of like, you know, that little bit, they don't have the finger on the pulse. They're in the way and the older generation can look back and think these guys haven't a clue. They've no life experience. What do they know about the, the vagaries of life and all the rest of it? And I think, I think it's a really interesting dynamic when you sit two people from, you know, different, you know, spectrums of life and you have them have a discourse, one who's been through life and one who's starting off in their life. And it's interesting that at the end if he felt, God, I could have been a bit better there. You know, I, thought, found that was, I thought that was a fascinating comment, right, you. Yeah,
1: yeah it, it really did say a lot because it's only until you reach a certain age that you realize I was <laughs> yeah. an idiot then. You know, I like if I wish <laughs> I'd known them what I know now. So exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, Malia, do you think our identities, who we are as people, they're inextricably linked to our belief system these days or can our belief system be more liquid? Can it move more?
3: I think we, because we try to feel safe in interactions and generally in life, you know, we try we make decisions and we have beliefs about and opinions about things and they they help to kind of maintain this sense of this is me this is my social grouping that are quite similar to me and you know this is a kind of my my safety zone and i think it's important therefore for us to break into that comfort zone a little bit move out of that comfort zone to hear other points Mm -hmm. of view Um, because you know we all develop our beliefs for very many different reasons you know sometimes our parents told us this particular thing sometimes we have a life experience that's so massive that we become passionate about a particular thing and that's that's all linked with emotion and that can be very very strong and therefore it can be really hard to hear another point of view when something is very emotional you're emotionally attached to this belief Um, so I I think you know to for us to know that as human beings we're multifaceted we are you know a bit of our beliefs we are our identity is linked to our beliefs but there's a lot more to us and that we are ever we are you know becoming more evolved so as we get older we evolve as human beings and it's all about trying to gain new experiences as Richard said in the examiner article it's about like you know, meeting different so that you can learn more about yourself and learn more about other people and mm. gain these new experiences. It's about personal growth.
2: You're right, Malia. Can mm. I just come in on that point? Because I think it's a really interesting point. Thanks, Malia. That's, that's exactly it. But what I noticed is also, say, working with teenagers and, and, and young adults, in college and that is that I I do think that their identity is getting caught up in their belief system. And I do think some of the times, sometimes the belief system that they have is quite superficial as in it's been fed to them through, you know, you know, discourse online. And so they attach to it and they say that's who I am now. I believe this. Mm -hmm. I have this belief. So when someone challenges it, when someone presents an alternative point of view, they cannot hear it. They will not hear it because that means it means the absolute collapse of their identity because they've attached their identity to the belief that they have. And of course, they're not, they're not the same things at all. But, you know, they, they, they believe this is who I am. This is how I believe. This is what I believe in. And this is something that I really hold. So if you are going to oppose me and have a different point of view, you're attacking me, not the mm. idea, not the mm. belief. You're going yeah. right at me. And that's why you see so much polarization and so much, uh, you know, an inability to kind of have a discourse. And I see it in schools. I see it all the time where students cannot have a discourse with someone who said, no, I, I don't agree with that. You see them collapse because that's their identity being attacked.
1: And... And in that, it's so fascinating because sometimes the beauty of life is in the grey area. But yeah. we are quite polarized now, and to be malleable in our opinions mm. is not to be strong and and who we are. And one thing I noticed in the program is that some some people Malia, would say, um, "Well, like I'm, he can't accept the facts that I'm giving him mm. because mm-hmm. his opinions don't understand it, even though the person was speaking an opinion, mm-hmm. but to them it was a fact." Um, this truculence. Is has that always been there or are we looking at everything through a prism of social media now and thinking that, oh, we've gotten worse in the last 20 years?
3: I think social media has made things worse, but I think human beings have always had difficulty in telling the difference between fact and opinion. We Mm. all have what we call these cognitive distortions, which is thought errors with the way we see the world. Do you know what I mean? When you're anxious, for instance, say if you have a strong feeling like anxiety, then you the whole world seems kind of chaotic and you're like, oh my God, I have this and I have that and all these things are terrible. And it's black and white thinking. We have these thinking errors. So as Richard said, if we have that many thoughts per day many of them are going to be errors of thought and they can be very driven by how we feel so you know by saying something is a fact that's very often they're saying that because there's a strong opinion behind that and i think in the last few years with the whole idea of fake news and whether you know it's about like it's hard sometimes to seek and to find the reality of a situation without the bias of the people who are presenting that information to you. And be, and in social media, There are so many ways to get your news and you find even actually on the show that a lot of younger people are getting their news, not from the traditional sources we used to get it from, but maybe from Facebook or from, you know, something that pops up on their screen. So um, I do think social media has made things more difficult in that way. But I think it's an age old thing where we would have thought an opinion is a fact Mm. because we so strongly believe Mm. it because of our emotional attachment to it.
1: Yeah, there's a great comment about The Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> the yes, I couldn't yeah. I wouldn't talk to someone who read The, the
3: Guardian, sounds like
1: a but it was very funny. <laughs> um, I know that you've you know, you've, you've 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 talked about it, but you've gotten involved with this for a reason and and that you want to bring this discourse to real life when mm. we can meet again, which is very interesting. But uh, Richard, what good do you think can come of eating with the enemy?
2: I think an incredible amount of good can come from it because we've seen what bad can come from, Um, you know, been terrified of opposing views, been so stuck in a belief, been so, you know, uh, so isolated from alternative and alternative points of view. And I honestly believe when you limit your access to other people's views, you're limiting your enjoyment of the world, you're limiting opening up to all the complexity of the world. The world is not a straightforward and simple thing. And our brain is a bit lazy and it's always trying to make it very simple. It's like that thinking fast and slow. It's always trying to make it, you know, into compartment uh, compartmentalize things that person's good that person's bad and really reductionist ideas and so I think what, what the great thing that come out of this is that people would see that they're not you know people who have a different point of view is not somebody who's like you know an alien to them or someone who's like a really dangerous or a threat to them it's somebody who has the same shared life experience just holds a different point of view and that's not someone to be scared of that's not someone to be you know to re- reduce your contact with, that's actually someone to be able to sit down and have a discourse. What I was hoping from this, honestly, Miren, is that we'd get to see how we can have a respectful discourse. And I think from the first series when I watched it and I heard everyone talking at the end and, you know, Father Joe saying it was such a wonderful experience. It was great to sit down with Bonnie and Clyde. And to me, that was really uplifting and that was really what the show was about. It was like, that was the moment where I thought, that's great. I mean, we can actually help. If young people are looking at this, maybe, you know, if teenagers watch this and, you know, young adults watch this, maybe it might make them believe actually having Mm. a conversation with someone who's not of your opinion who's not echoing your ideas is a nice thing and it's a good thing and it's not something to be you know to be to shy away from
1: yeah i know we bring them up but they
3: they were bonnie and clyde
1: and Father, they're
2: stuck with me it
1: was so lovely i love when she
3: asks can i have a second date yeah (laughs) brilliant
1: (laughs) isn't it It and you want them to see each other again you're like they're so lovely for you what what was it what what good is it for you for you malio that you want to see coming from the show
3: um, I'd love, I-, I I echo what Richard says. Mm. I hope that it can make for a kinder society in a way I'm all about self compassion. And I think people kind of go on and say, Oh, I don't have biases and I don't have, you know, I don't have those strong views sometimes, you know, and I think, you know, if we could be kinder to ourselves mm. about where our points of view have come from, um, and also the fact that we hold them and kind of, you know, be, be kinder towards ourselves, we can be kinder towards other people who hold their points of view. I think rather than deny the fact that we have prejudices, we all have them. I hear people say, oh, no, I'm not prejudiced at all. But we all have them. Every single one of us have them. So I think if we can even acknowledge that for ourselves and go, I wonder why I react that viscerally, that kind Mm. of strongly to this particular grouping or this particular point of view, where is that coming from. It's made me aware as a parent as well about the what I'm saying to my children in terms of, you know, different things. Do you know, it's made me aware because I'm kind of like they're going to start modeling and saying exactly they're already doing it, you know. So it's made me more aware of that. And I'd like to see another show happen. And I'd also like to see some type of a movement, maybe on Twitter or something where we could counteract all this and actually have more conversations together in that kind of kind, respectful way. Yeah, well, like I said, an, a Twitter ideas.
1: But yes. but the fact that you you're a clinical psychologist, Malia, the fact that you got something from the show mm. is fascinating. Like it's, it's amazing. Richard, did you find that like as you're watching this and, and this is your bread and butter, it's what you do that you're like, oh, I learned something new there.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think absolutely, Maren. I think I think anybody who sits down and watches the show will, will feel that. And just because you're involved in it doesn't mean you know, you're detached detachment. I, I was really involved in it and I was really a part of it. But when I watched it, when I was watching the clips that had been sent to us, I was like, this is exactly what I was hoping would happen. I didn't actually think I had reservations about it. I think, I thought it could break. Down into like you know very, you know heated and you know the, the la- I was worried that it could be sensationalism and it could be like you know p- two people sitting down like you know Bonnie and Clyde and you could e- that could easily descend into an attack or a diatribe on the church right and and then it's it, it's gone off into a whole other realm but I was what what really for me was just that that moment of revelation was that actually this is faith in humanity actually you know what there's, there's far more there's far more positivity out there than what we believe because we've had such a negative experience with post-truth and all the rest of it and the Donald Trump year and all that kind of stuff of fake news and actually people are inherently good that's what I felt when I when mm. I came away from it I had that feeling people are inherently good and that's what really came out of the show and it made me feel really optimistic about the future and I can't wait yeah. for my students to watch this tonight and and mm. see what, we, what you know what, what And get some insights into what's going on for us and how to have better discourse. And we
3: also got our hair and makeup done in the middle of a (laughs) lockdown. Sorry, I had to say the important <laughs> stuff and got I to stay in obviously. a hotel. I got to stay in a hotel. So that was cool. Um, you know, that was cool. <laughs> yes. Take those opportunities yeah, no, when absolutely. you can. Yes. <laughs>
1: are yeah. you still going, oh my god, are you
3: you'll be looking back I, now, I, going, geez, look at the hair there now and fabulous. <laughs> I know it's it was great. It was a l- lovely to be to be treated like that. And it, like the whole look of the show, I really like Click. the producers, what they had in mind for even the, the aesthetic of the show was amazing remember. you know you'll find it, it's 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 really beautiful to watch as in the way they bring in the clips of the other people the lighting all the people that worked in the background like uh you know myself and Richard shot a few weeks ago they were in in a freezing studio do you remember that Richard I'm um they dishes. oh god seriously <laughs> um but it was it was amazing how much work they put into it and the vision they had which I really think has been
2: pulled off amazingly yeah. well and my lips actually look very pink. It looks like I've got lipstick on. That is actually that is actually, I think, hypothermia setting in.
3: I was, I was wearing a dress, Richard. <laughs> so was I,
2: Mally, I don't give oh, it yeah. away. Oh
3: yeah. I was about to sit there going
1: sorry Malia, I can just one up you, know. you there there was yeah. definitely a dress going on there yeah. and at least your students Richard will be able to comment on your beautiful lipstick and absolutely, exactly. that's the whole point it has been absolutely I've I got swear. a smile on my face after this conversation which I hope is what people get for me when they watch Eating with the Enemy uh, Dr. Malia Coyne, clinical psychologist and author of Love In Love Out and Richard Hogan psychotherapist and columnist with the Irish Examiner and author of Parenting the Screen Ager thank you both so much for giving Thanks us so your much. time on the Thank you so much, Myron.
2: That was great. Thank you.
1: Don't forget, you can watch Eating with the Enemy Wednesday nights at 9pm on Virgin Media 1 or binge watch the entire series now on the Virgin Media Player. Hooked on Eating with the Enemy was produced by Gordon Hayden. I'm Maren O'Connell and after watching the entire series, you'll be well equipped to win that dinner debate whenever we get back to actually having dinner with other people. Bye-bye lockdown. Take care of yourself and we'll talk to you soon.